0: Hi everyone, and welcome back to episode eight of Stalked. Um, just a few housekeeping things before I get into this week's case. Um, so firstly, thank you for everyone that messaged about the um idea of a website that I had. I should hopefully have that up and running in the next few weeks, and it will be hopefully a lot more reliable than Instagram in terms of uploading things that I've mentioned in episodes. Um. Having a lot of um, copyright issues on Instagram at the minute. So hopefully that will be a way of um, showing everything that I talk about in the episode. And I might just pop the episode scripts up as well. So that if you're not in a position where you can listen to a podcast, you could still um, read it as well. So I'm also going to be starting a YouTube channel. Um, which, it, it sounds exciting, it's just going to be the episodes up as videos so it'll only be the audio but um I'll have like the pictures probably from each episode in the background um just as another way of for people to listen um and I think actually on YouTube if me memory serves us correctly you can adjust different levels I'm not sure if you're going to be able to adjust the music but I think you can speed it up or slow it down, just I know some people think that I talk too quickly, which I definitely do. Um, so I will let you know when all of the episodes are up on there. I am still looking into music options. I'm thinking about getting my own music made so I don't have to use like the kind of fill-in options on the Anchor um like app, which is what I'm using at the minute. Um yeah, so just to let you know I am still working on that. Um, that kind of leads nicely into the other thing that I just want to talk about. So I did actually want to mention, um, Patreon this week. Um, obviously I do this podcast entirely by myself. I research it, I write the script, I record it, I edit it, I run all my accounts, um, by myself. I have no previous knowledge of making podcasts or record, no editing anything, um, I think I once tried to make a film with my cousin, um, which was like a sequel to the James Woods vampire film, and that didn't go very well. So I am not an expert at editing and I'm not an expert at recording. I am just kind of winging it. Um, But yeah, I, I love doing it, but it is hard work and it can be expensive to make a podcast. So for that reason, I am also looking at starting a Patreon account so for those of you that don't know what a Patreon is, it's a little bit like a monthly um subscription site for podcasts. I have about four, I think four or five. Don't tell me, husband. Patreon <laughs> subscriptions. So you basically pay a set amount each month, and you um for your favorite podcasts, and you're supporting the podcasts being made, but you get something in return. So most of the ones that I'm subscribed to, you get extra episodes each month. So I think most of them do an extra episode each fortnight or. Um, weekly so you get two to four additional episodes um, that a non-patreon member would get Um, typically you'll choose between like a few different ranks so it's like maybe two dollars three dollars five dollars and they are all tiered in terms of of what you get so the way I was thinking of working it um, would be to have an extra episode for for Patreon only members, um, every fortnight. And I was kind of thinking about what could I do that would be a little bit different. Um, when I did the episode on psychopaths, that has gone really well. It's the downloads on that are really, really high. So what I thought would be, um, for Patreon members, you will get a episode every fortnight, which will be, um, each one will be like a kind of an explanation, a look into it, a, a, a different condition from the DSM-5, um, which is kind of like the Bible for psychologists. It's got all the conditions in there. Um, so each, you know, fortnight we will look at something new like narcissism or borderline personality disorder or um, kind of anything. There's so many to look at. We'll look at a different one each week. And then I'll also actually put a little like call out for... Um, people to write in with their own kind of stalking experiences and I will do like maybe anonymous listener experiences as well. Um, so it should be probably a good half hour 45 minute extra episode you get twice uh, so twice a month. Um, I also want to do giveaways so I'm thinking that I'm going to do a giveaway every month so if you're a Patreon member you are automatically entered into the giveaway and what i thought would maybe be useful instead of like doing like merch or a t-shirt or something um is I regularly mentioned books um so non-fiction and fiction and kind of like um you know, true crime, psychology, criminology books, I'm always kind of saying this book's good for that and this book's good for this. I know a lot of them are quite hard to get hold of. So what I thought is every month I will um, do a giveaway where I'll find one of the books that I've mentioned and I'll send it to one of me um, Patreon um, subscribers, if anyone subscribes. Um, so that's all, it takes quite a while to set up. So that is coming soon. With the website, I'm probably going to try and tie them in like kind of roughly the same time, um, but just to give everyone a little taste, at the first book that I am going to um, plan on doing as the giveaway is um, Anne Rule's Stranger Beside Me, which is an amazing true crime nonfiction book about investigator Anne Rule. If you've not heard of her, she's kind of huge in America. She basically um, I she's basically like a real-life Jessica Fletcher. So she was kind of hired by police regularly to um, investigate into different cases and write a book about them. And she actually was confronted by the police and they said, um, will you kind of help us try to work out who this serial killer is that's killing a lot of women? Um, and she was like, yeah, of course, no problem. And um, the, the serial killer was basically Ted Bundy. Anne Rule was actually, like, best friends with Ted Bundy at the time. Um, she worked with him in the um, helpline. the It was, like, a Samaritan's helpline, I think they met at. And she was so close with Ted that he would actually babysit her teenage daughters. And all the while, she was investigating who the serial killer is. And she had no idea that it was Ted. So it's kind of shocking to read how it kind of dawns to her. Dawns on her, sorry, that... Um, her best friend is a serial killer. And it is all 100% true and kind of written in real time. I think it's quite hard to find in bookshops. I have a few copies of it. So that will be the first um, book that I will do a giveaway of. Um, So all the details of that will be coming soon. I'll update everything on Instagram. Um I have had a few messages about Facebook and well I have a Facebook page and a Facebook forum I can't currently open a Facebook page I don't know why um whenever I have tried to set up a Facebook page um I'm kind of getting like reported for something and I need to provide like three pieces of ID it's really strange so I don't know what's going on with that at the minute it is kind of in my plans to have a Facebook group at some point I just need to find a way that I can prove I am who I say I am otherwise they're kind of not letting me set up an account so if you want to keep track of everything that's going on Instagram is kind of the only place that I have at the moment um I don't really know how to use Twitter, so I will try Twitter, but honestly, I'm just so terrible. I'm kind of like really proficient with Instagram and all of the social media I am terrible at. Um, so unfortunately, if you want to, you know, kind of keep up to date with everything until I get a Patreon set up, um, Instagram is the way to go. Okay, so this week's episode is going to be um, about a case that I heard of a few years ago now. It is kind of a case of a long-term stalker and also the type of stalker I don't think I have really covered a case of before. Um, You will have to bear with me on this one. This has been made public in the sense that the victim has, um, I know that she has been on another podcast um years ago and I know that the story has been in a few newspapers but in terms of names and locations it's all being kept very anonymous um obviously the victim is you know has probably PTSD and things and she wants to raise awareness of stalking but I don't think she wants um the kind of uh kind of deal that comes with putting your name out there so um yeah I need to respect the privacy of the victim so I will not be giving away any details on locations or names. Um, All I can say is that is it's a shocking case and even more shocking when you hear the details that this happened in the UK. Um, So what I thought is I'll do the case I'll do this kind of episode back to front so we'll go through the case first and then we'll kind of look at the psychology of the stalker involved and what type um they would fit into. Okay, so let's get into the case. Um for the ease of understanding who I'm talking about, I'm gonna be calling the victim Jane Doe and the stalker John Doe. Um just so you can kind of follow rather than saying the victim and the stalker the whole way through. Okay, so around 25 years ago, um Jane Doe and her partner were living in a small, smallish town in the UK. Um, her family owned a business which she would kind of work at and often help out at and I think our, our partner worked there as well. It was during one of these kind of work trips to the office that she met a friend of the family's who we will call John Doe. They stuck up, uh, struck up sorry, a friendship, just kind of a normal relationship. He became a friend of the couple, um, I think he was himself was married, um, and they would kind of spend time together as couples. And he became particularly close to Jane. Um, they actually spent so much time together over the course of a few years. That when Jane and her partner had a baby. They asked John to be the baby's godfather. So the friendship continued normally for years. With John spending time with Jane, her partner and his uh, godson, their son. However, things started to feel a little bit strained when John began to offer unsolicited advice on things to do with Jane's son. So he began to maybe pay a little bit too much attention to what his grades were like, which school he was at, what he should be eating, kind of what time he was going to bed. It just was getting a little bit too involved in the decisions that they were making about um, their child. Um... It was at this time also that John actually began to go through a divorce and he seemed to direct suddenly all of his free time and all of his free energy towards Jane and her family. Um. So just a quick side note, this is something that I have mentioned before. When someone goes through a major life stressor, it can kind of be the tipping point for them to enter into stalking behaviours that they might not have experienced before. Um, So a a major life stressor, definitely a divorce would be considered a major life stressor. Um, Jane began to believe that John was almost kind of seeing her as like a replacement of his ex-wife. She felt like from things that he had said and implied, he had always wanted kind of a typical, um, I'm putting it in comments like housewife, um, so to speak. So he believed that a wife should kind of be at home and cooking and looking after the children. And because that's what Jane was doing, um, she felt that she kind of represented that ideal, um, kind of housewife person or persona to John, um, After some time of kind of allowing this kind of behaviour, him being too involved with things and maybe giving them a little bit too much attention, I think she kind of thought, you know what, he's going through a divorce. Give him a little bit of time. Um, After some time... um, I, th- I don't know whether this influenced the decision, but after some time of that going on and him going through the divorce, Jane and her family decided to move to another town, which I think was a little bit far away. Maybe it's like an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Um, so this was a huge deal to John and a huge problem. He became very annoyed and very unsettled by the thought that Jane would be um, further away. So he actually started to write several letters to the family, um, before they had even really moved, I think. Uh, he would accuse them of chasing a lifestyle and, you know, kind of imply different reasons for why, kind of behind them moving away. Um, and he would also phone Jane and tell her similar things and, um, he seemed to believe that she should kind of take his advice and not move. So again, maybe maybe being, I was going to say a little bit too involved, but no, maybe definitely overstepping that marker of what's appropriate to say to a friend and what's um, kind of none of your business. Um, telling somebody how to raise a child and which school they should take their child to and whether or not they should move house. It isn't really any of your business as a friend. Yes, you could say... I'm worried about you if you really were concerned, but it actually isn't up to you just because you're somebody's godson, uh, godfather, sorry, or somebody's friend. It really isn't your place to tell them how they should live and where they should live. Um. However, Jane this was a friend for many years, obviously, so it was quite difficult to see him behaving like this. And Jin was hopeful that once they had moved and it kind of got over the, the initial move and the shock of them moving, um, that things would settle down again. I'm just going to quickly apologize. I normally record at night and I am recording in the afternoon today and I live on a main road and I guess it's kind of prime time for people picking their kids up, so if you can hear any aggressive shouting or horns, that is just my (laughs) road. I do apologise for that. Um, Yeah, so back to Jane and John. So, the move went fine, Um, they kind of got out of the town, they didn't have any obstacles on the moving day they didn't have any obstacles in the first few weeks of living there jane kind of as she had hoped thought that john had kind of you know got over the initial shock of the moving and hoped that everything had returned to normal however within a few weeks in their new home jane's mother-in-law received a letter from john So like I mentioned a lot of the details of this case have been kept kind of out to not reveal identities but it's strongly implied that John obviously was a friend of Jane and a friend of her family's. It kind of is implied that he had put some family disputes or family secrets or kind of something of that nature in the letter and the gist is that John was trying to cause an argument or a rift between um, Jane and her husband's family so like her in-laws um luckily because of his previous behavior and i think they'd probably mention that too um Jane's family and her husband's family Jane's mother-in-law kind of saw what John was trying to do and um didn't buy what the letter was saying and after speaking with Jane and her partner um she contacted John and told him that she was cutting all ties with him um Seeing her mother-in-law take this decision and take this step kind of inspired or spurred Jane on to do the same. This had been going on for I think a few years now since his divorce when he'd been getting progressively and progressively more involved in their life. Jane decided that enough was enough and a few days later she made the decision to tell John that their friendship was not working anymore and that they no longer wanted to be in contact with him. So, unfortunately, as with most stalkers and stalking cases, rejection is not taken well, typically. Um, it does depend what kind of stalker, but with most of them, um, especially if there's been a previous relationship, like a friendship or like a romantic relationship or even just like um, one date or something, rejection is not taken well and it can spur the stalker onto escalation. And this was definitely the case with John. So he began to write letters to the family again. Letters to Jane. He also began to make phone calls daily where he would just not say anything. And he would just breathe down the phone. This obviously caused a great deal of anxiety for Jane. Who was regularly home alone. So her husband was at work and her child was at school. And she was in the house on their own. And again I don't know exactly where they lived. But I do have kind of she kind of describes the house a little bit and I don't think it was on like a street. I feel like it was in the countryside and I feel like she has mentioned that her nearest neighbour was ten minutes down the road. So she is on her own in the middle of kind of an isolated area. Um and she has said that she would regularly either be in the house and hear a noise outside or she would have been to the shops or somewhere in a car and return home and find and she doesn't say what they are but find items hung on the back door that would let her know that John had been there. So basically things that she would know only he would leave. And this would happen while she was in the house on her own or it would happen while she was out and returned to the house on her own. Um, And this behaviour continued for four years. And it was after one of these events that he left something on the back door that Jane finally decided enough was enough and she reported John's behaviour to the police. Um, So again, this action can cause escalation, Um, reporting people to the police that are stalking you. They don't tend to take that very well at all. Um, They do say it as another kind of rejection Um, and this was the case for John again, who um, was apparently not only annoyed at the fact that he was cautioned by the police, but very shocked. He didn't seem to understand, um, and I'll explain this later when we're going to what type of stalker this is, but he really didn't think that he was stalking. Um, he kind of didn't think that their relationship was over, basically. Um, So what he decided to do, because he had been sending letters in kind of envelopes just addressed to Jane, he decided to escalate and he started to send postcards, which means that everything that he has written um, can not only be seen by, like, the postman, but can be seen by her husband and her son. So she kind of has lost that kind of ability to kind of just put... I mean, most of the time, in a certain case, if you are receiving letters, the advice would be not to destroy the letters... Um, to store them, whether or not you open them or whether or not you just store them and take them to the police is, I think, up to you. Um, But at least if it's in an envelope, you have a little bit of kind of a buffer between you and the stalker. A postcard just kind of removes that um, extra barrier. You are seeing the words straight away. And also you can't kind of hide that from anybody else that would be checking the post so after seeing this kind of escalation in behavior the police went back to john and issued him with a restraining order against the whole family so this actually seemed to work for a few weeks um the restraining order seemed to have kind of made an impact on him at least um and jane kind of relaxed for a few weeks however John resumed his threatening uh, postcards again. He also escalated to letters as well and he carried on making the kind of quiet, breathing down the phone, phone calls. So this meant that he had broken his restraining order and the police arrested John again and his case was taken to court. So at first, Jane was quite happy that this case had been taken to court, that he'd been like kind of basically... Court breaking his restraining order um however she does say that John actually saw this kind of as a great opportunity because it meant he was going to be in the same room for kind of a day or two with Jane that he can kind of sit across from her and try and talk to her um I do think she'd mentioned that she was a protected witness which meant that she I don't know how it would have worked because this was a few years ago But typically with protective witnesses now, I think they do it via like a video link. Um, There was a time when they would have just had a curtain around you. It basically means that you don't have to look at um, your stalker or your attacker or kind of whatever the situation is. It's just kind of a way that kind of provides a little bit of space and kind of... um, removes the possibility for them to just stare at you I suppose or try and make any kind of contact with you. Obviously he had a restraining order in place so she doesn't say whether it was through video link or just in kind of a protective dock like with the curtain around but whatever it was she said she could tell that John was actually happy that they were in the same room. Um, John defended himself um, which just never goes well and it's never a good sign to be honest um but he kind of was representing himself and his argument was that himself and Jane had been in an affair for years and that that meant his behaviors were normal and not stalking or harassment because him, self and Jane were in a relationship um and that if anybody should be arrested it should be Jane for a kind of perjuring herself in court by saying that they weren't having an affair um so that was obviously very traumatic for her and her husband to go through um thankfully though the judge saw through his story and they uh sentenced him to a nine week um stint in prison for breaking his restraining order So Jane was able to relax and her family were able to relax for a few months Um, but she did say that the the thought was always in the back of her mind that he would be released from prison soon Um, so she kind of felt like she was just waiting for it to come. Um, So John was released and I think it was only maybe a few days or a week before he started sending letters and making phone calls again. John was still under the rules of his restraining order so within just a few days of him starting those behaviours he had already broken it several times and John was arrested again and um, another trial date was set for a few weeks time and he was released on bail until that point. Okay so a few nights after um, John had been released on bail pending another trial date Jane and her husband went to bed and they went into kind of an uneasy sleep. They were obviously very stressed and anxious about the upcoming trial. This had now been going on for six years um, and they just felt like they were in a cycle of him um, breaking his restraining order, going to prison for a short stint and being released. Um, so they said that after a few hours of sleep, in the very early hours of the morning, they heard a strange noise coming from downstairs. Um, they both awoke and they decided that it was probably just, like, a fox or something. Um, the noise kind of stopped after a while. So they kind of dropped back into a, uh, dropped back to sleep again for a few hours. A few hours later, however, um... In the very early hours of the morning, so I think it was probably around about 5 or 6 a.m. from the description, their doorbell went um, and they kind of thought maybe it was the postman. So in England, um, in the UK, we tend to get our postmans or, I mean, not anymore, but in like when this happened, like this was like, quite a few years ago, it wouldn't be unusual for your postman to come at like 7 in the morning. Um, and we don't have post boxes like you do in America, if it doesn't fit for the letterbox, then they will ring the doorbell. So it really isn't that unusual to have your doorbell ringing. Also, if you lived in the countryside, um, when I, I used to live in the countryside for a little while and we used to get milk delivered in the morning and things. So I know some people have said, why would you answer the door at this time in the morning? But I I don't think at the, where they lived and at that time, it would have been that unusual. They both said they just assumed that it was, a postman or some kind of delivery person like maybe the milkman wanting payment or something. Um, so they heard the doorbell and Jane's husband got up to go and answer the door downstairs. So Jane said that after a few minutes she suddenly heard shouting and kind of a commotion and she hurried downstairs to see what was happening and she said she could barely believe what she saw. So, her husband was trying to slam the door closed. His entire body was kind of pressed against it, trying to force the door shut. On the other side of the door was John. He had his foot kind of halfway in the door, trying to jam it open. And in his hand was a gun. Um, which So, this is what I was mentioning before. In the UK, gun crime is not common it's quite rare i know in the countryside people do have guns for hunting and you know kind of like shooting um deer and things but it's not something that you would typically expect it is quite rare um so i think it took it they took them by surprise definitely thankfully after a few minutes jane's husband managed to slam the door back and lock it and the pair ran back upstairs to their bedroom Um, Jane grabbed the phone and tried to, um, well, did call 999, um, while she was doing that, her husband was trying to block the bedroom door, I don't think they said they didn't have a lock on their bedroom door, so he was basically just trying to push anything he could in front of the door, um, like suitcases, you know, like a chest of drawers, anything he could, they were trying to barricade themselves in the room. So the police said that they were on their way um, and as they kind of had finished barricading the door they heard John smash through the front door downstairs and they heard him kind of moving through the house trying to find them and they said at this point they didn't know what he had. He obviously had the gun but he had also found a hammer and he was using that to smash through doors and try to basically work out which room they were in. this is the new house that they lived in, so I don't think John had been in their house. Um obviously he'd been friends with them before they moved, but they kind of ended the friendship when they moved into this house, so I don't think he knew which room was their bedroom, for instance. So they kinda had to wait in the bedroom while they heard him smashing through all of the other doors. Their son wasn't home. Um I don't know where he was, but he definitely wasn't home. It was just the pair of them in the house and they had to kind of wait it out. Um, behind this kind of barricade. Um, After quite a while and still no police presence, um, John managed to reach the bedroom door and he worked out that that's where they were because the door was barricaded and he couldn't get in. So while kind of shouting and screaming at them to get out the room, he started trying to smash through the door with the hammer. It was at this point that Jane realised that the only way of escape was to try and jump out of the second floor bedroom window um, the window was big enough that they could do that. So Jane, um, now I've heard two different stories but I think this is what they did. I think this is what she said they did. They didn't want to let him know that they were jumping out of the bedroom window because obviously he could run downstairs and out the front door. So what they decided to do was they decided to shout to John to say, we don't want to encourage you, so we're not going to talk to you anymore from this point, which is really smart. So that meant it would account for their silence when they had got out of the window. Um. So Jane went first. She jumped out of the window and she miraculously wasn't hurt. And she ran down the road um, to try and find her neighbour's house. So as I mentioned, I think they lived in the countryside. So their neighbour's house was quite far down this, like lane this road so she races down the road um and when she kind of gets near the neighbor's house she realizes why the police haven't arrived at her house yet um so in the uk because of the rarity of guns and because of where they lived the uk police don't have guns They have to wait for something called armed response, which is kind of a division within our police that do have guns. But depending on where you live, there might not be an armed response team in the near area. So I think it was going to take the armed response team, I've heard it was going to take them around about half an hour to get there. And in the meantime, like the police without guns cannot enter somewhere where there is a person with a gun because it's just dangerous it doesn't make any sense so Jane said she just saw a whole host of police just kind of waiting at the bottom of the street um not not doing anything so she had to kind of run to her neighbor's house thankfully our neighbor let her in the house and they kind of um you know looked after it. Her. her husband managed to jump out of the window about 10 minutes later and also got to her neighbor's house and they both hid in there um while John was still in their house so the armed response arrived about half an hour later and arrived at Jane's house John was inside and refusing to leave and he actually told the officers outside that he had installed bombs around all of the entrances to the property um, meaning that nobody was able to enter because now you have a bomb threat so um. Armed response can't deal with bombs. You need the bomb division. And it was actually, I think, the bomb division of the army that had to come. So, again, that took quite a lot of time. Um, It's just a case of something like this happening. It makes it sound like the British police aren't, like, well-equipped for things like this. It's just a case of this happening in a place that's kind of, by the sounds of it, in the middle of nowhere with um, just a regular police force. We don't get that many gun crimes in the UK as a whole. I suppose in London, you probably get more, in Birmingham, I think you get more. So in those areas, there's probably armed response relatively nearby all the time. But um, the fact that this was in the middle of the countryside uh, just means that things take a lot longer. And perhaps John knew that, and that's the reason he said about the bombs. It turns out he hadn't actually put any explosives around the house. There wasn't any. Um... It was just a stalling tactic. Um unsus- unsurprisingly, um, John was arrested unharmed. Typically in situations like this where you have somebody he didn't shoot anybody, but he was obviously attempting to shoot people. Most of the time somebody like that would actually kill themselves. Um, they would turn the gun on themselves. He didn't, um, which is interesting especially considering he stayed in the house so long and he kind of tried to keep them out um but he was arrested completely unharmed and he was um obviously sentenced with a a litany of crimes but he wasn't put into a um typical prison I think from what I've read he was put into a psychiatric prison and he wasn't given a specific sentence so he was um kind of put in he I don't know whether he still is in prison, I suppose, given the fact that we don't know the names of these people, we won't find out. But the sentence that he was given, um, in my opinion, is brilliant. So he was put into a psychiatric prison and he won't be eligible for release until they are absolutely certain that he is no longer a risk to Jane, her family, or himself. And if that means that he's in prison for life, then um, so be it. Um... Yeah, so Jane and her family were unharmed from the event physically, I suppose, mentally. um, I wouldn't be surprised if they had PTSD and things like that. This was like a really traumatic incident and just absolutely amazing that this story ended how it did. It could have ended up, you know, being a very, very different ending. Okay, so I thought that this case was an important one to tell for a few reasons. Firstly, I think it really highlights the length of time some stalkers will um, pursue a victim over, will continue kind of the stalking behaviours over. So he, in total, I think stalked for around about six and a half years, but they were obviously friends for quite a few years before that. Um, It also shows how the role of police cautions and restraining orders can have kind of an escalation um in in terms of stalking behaviors and the other reason I wanted to share this case is because despite the incredibly serious nature of what happened um I would bet money on the fact that um almost no one listening will have heard of this case obviously if you're in the um US which I know most of you are it would be rare that you would hear a case like this from the UK but any UK listeners um I'm I'm sure you haven't heard about this in the press. I had to dig really hard to find um, research on this case for this episode. And I only heard the original story because I obviously am constantly looking through the news for cases of stalking. um, Just like my research that I do. So I had to actively seek this one out. Um, It just is, you know, I've mentioned it before, but unless there's a murder... The press just don't seem particularly interested in sharing cases about stalkers, which means that people aren't being made aware of the seriousness of stalking and the risks that they can pose. It's basically like, um, the only time we typically seem to hear about stalkers in the press is if somebody has been murdered. And unfortunately, if that person was kind of let down by the police, that seems to be the only kind of case that anybody wants to cover. Um... So this man was a family friend, he was even made a godfather of their child, and yet over the course of a year he turned from somebody they trusted with with their own child into their kind of like worst nightmare, which again highlights how given the right circumstances or the wrong circumstances I should say, anyone is capable of falling into stalking behaviours. So if we look into the beginning of this case, kind of when the stalking began, you can see like um, with, just as with many cases, it begins with a major life stressor. So John was in the process of going through a divorce, um, and it seemed to turn his time and focus onto Jane and her family. And then during this time and focus of his attention, um, they then tell him that they, tell him that they are moving house and leaving the area. And this is probably another, was kind of probably another trigger for his escalation. Um, so I'm by no means putting any blame on the victim at all. I'm just explaining points at which he may have been triggered into escalation. Um restraining orders or police visits often cause escalation too, because it's it's really seen sometimes as a blow or further rejection by the stalker. So in terms of typology of John, I think that John would probably fit into the category of intimacy seeking stalker. So this type of stalker tends to begin with some kind of relationship with the victim, typically not kind of a romantic relationship. It tends to be that they know them casually or perhaps they're even just like a friend of a friend um, or they may know them, um, I think this one can often happen if you work somewhere and this person might be a customer. Um, but it's basically kind of probably what you would say more of an acquaintance most of the time than an actual real close friendship obviously these this one was different and they were close friends um but yeah this so this kind of um stalker they tend to be a very lonely person they tend to have few close relationships with anybody else um this type of stalker's goal is to develop a close relationship with the victim. And this tends to be often romantic. Um, they may suffer from a mental illness. And it's this kind of stalker that is most likely to suffer from erotomania. Which I know I've mentioned a lot of times before. That is when they have the delusion, the belief that the victim is um destined to be with them, that they are meant to be together, um and they will regularly look for signs and clues or um meanings, you know what I mean? That that they are destined to be together. Um Yeah, when looking at this case, the victim believed that John had kind of made up that story that they were in a relationship, that they were having an affair for the purpose of the trial. But obviously I don't know all of the details, I'm kind of reading it from, from one, one point of view, um, it is entirely possible that John genuinely believed that they were in a relationship, if he, um, used that kind of case in court, and the fact that he was always so shocked that the police would come to see him, that kind of strikes to me, that he was delusional, and he did believe that, in whatever capacity, himself and Jane had been having an affair, um, he probably was taking clues from her behavior to kind of back up his belief that they were um, together in a relationship. Um, And it is often with this type of stalker that they find things like restraining orders so hard to deal with because they do genuinely believe that they have a relationship with the victim. So it is a real mental struggle um, as to why the victim is denying it and going as far as ringing the police and getting restraining orders put in place. Obviously, um again, I, I'm not victim blaming at all. Um all I'm trying to do is trying to show the other side of of what it looks like. I think it's really easy to kind of put stalkers in this category of an evil person and somebody that's out to do you harm. Um, which yes, they can. They can be entirely, but with something like the intimacy-seeking stalker, they do tend to suffer from some kind of um, mental illness. And it is just kind of maybe worthwhile to kind of take a, take a step back and think, what are they saying? From what's it like from their point of view? Um. I think he probably did genuinely believe that they were in a relationship and i think this probably all started from the kind of the emotional stress that he went through during that divorce and having nobody else close in his life um obviously it does not condone any of his behaviors whatsoever but i am really pleased that he was given um the sentence that he was given because i do think just putting him in prison, it obviously wasn't working, he was put in prison kind of, um, for that nine-week period, it's, you're not treating the problem then, you're just, the problem with stalkers, if you just, especially this kind of stalker, if you just put a stalker in prison who is in delusions that they're in a relationship with somebody else, all you're essentially doing is giving them the time and space to think about that victim, um, without proper treatment, it's, it's pointless you aren't going to help anybody you're just almost kind of giving the victim a respite from being stalked um but then you're also posing the risk that that is going to you know escalate the stalker again into um into progressing with their behaviors which obviously John did so I think the best course of action here definitely was for John to receive mental health treatment um and yeah, like I said before, the, the sentence that was given to John was that he wouldn't be released until they deemed that he was um, no longer a threat to Jane, her family, or himself. And I think that is the best um, plan for everybody. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if Jane and her family needed a similar treatment because it isn't uncommon. It's actually very common for someone who has been stalked for this length of time, particularly, to develop um, kind of like a, a complex PTSD Um from the stalking itself but then from that trauma at the end the actual incident they probably would have um ptsd from that so hopefully with the right kind of treatment everybody can kind of start fresh and have um you know more um it would be nice to think that they had kind of got closure all around um there isn't much out there about what Jane is doing now. I know she had mentioned that she had really struggled after the incident, which, again, you just it's no surprise whatsoever. Um, But it would be nice to think that through treatment she can kind of... Um. I don't like to think that people would get over something like this. I think you probably wouldn't get over like something like this. But at least if she could, with the right treatment have i think closure is probably the right word have some closure and have um kind of get used to life without being stalked because just because the stalker goes to prison it doesn't mean that that fear goes away for the victim that can last years um i've mentioned it before but stalking it can just feel like the constant threat of violence is about to happen. And obviously she has been in a position before where John was in prison and it just got worse when he got released. So it, it's probably going to take her quite a while to get to a place where she is um, not feeling that same feeling that she was when she was being stalked, that kind of constant um, threat and worry and anxiety that something bad is about to happen. Um... So, yeah, unfortunately, I won't be able to do any kind of follow-ups on this story because I have a suspicion that if John is released from prison, he would probably, um, be given a new identity. I think. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that that would be the best course of action. Whether or not he is released, it'd be very, it'd be very difficult to say because I don't know what kind of treatment he would be receiving, um there are three stalking clinics in the uk this is very little known as well um but there are actually um ways now that if somebody like john is um arrested for breaking restraining orders multiple times and then you know attempted violence on the victim they have kind of realized quite rightfully that actually just putting the stalker in prison isn't doing anything in fact it might be escalating the situation so they now have stalking clinics which are set up kind of treatment centers um not only just for the stalker to receive treatment in but also for the victim which i think is brilliant and their kind of goal is um to prevent it from happening again to kind of treat the condition rather than just punishing the actions of the condition Um, if that makes any sense at all. Um, yeah, so I thought that was an interesting case to go through just because it was quite a long-term case that, um... I think, with the risk of long-term cases, if it got to five years, for instance, and nothing had happened, it's often a risk that people would think, well, do you know what, yeah, he follows you, and yeah, he sends letters, but he's never going to do anything, so I think it's interesting to always look at uh, cases that kind of prove that point wrong, like actually, he stalked them for six years, and it was in during that sixth year that he did decide to escalate. It's it's like I say, a constant threat of not knowing what's coming, and the key with stalkers is to not get complacent. Okay, so I thought after that case, I would try and find a film with a similar type of stalker in, um, and I only managed to find one, um, kind of new one that I haven't mentioned before. <laughs> Obviously, I could go into a rant and talk about Reese Withers in Enduring Love, um, again he is an intimacy-seeking stalker and he plays the role of a er- maniac perfectly but I'm guessing that everybody's fed up of me mentioning that film I know that that is like the one that I talk about all the time and it is because it is such a good portrayal but I have made an effort I have found one that I haven't mentioned before um so this week's film is The Jura which is made was made sorry in 1996 it is based on a book and I think feel like it's a John Grisham book but I don't know whether I'm mixing that up with a runaway jury I will find out and I will pop it on um my Instagram um I feel like it's maybe not you know John Grisham um it's very similar anyways it's like kind of like a law crime thriller um it basically stars Alec Baldwin as a hitman who works for the Mafia. I don't want to give too much away, but he his job basically is when somebody from the Mafia is accused of a crime, he is there to control the jury. Um, and it's during one of these cases. So he will basically pick somebody from the jury and he would... Um, confront them and kind of blackmail them, threaten them into, um, controlling what the the vote is going to be. So it's their job to kind of get everybody to vote not guilty, for example. Um, it's during one of these, uh, court cases for his bosses that he develops obsessive feelings towards the juror that he is trying to, um, control and that is Demi Muir. Um, and he, um, is supposed to be bribing her to lead the jury. Um, it's an amazing film. It's scored terribly on Rotten Tomatoes, but I have seen this film so many times and it is really, really good. Um, I think it's probably quite an exaggerated situation. Um, and things are, you know, portrayed way more dramatically than maybe they would be in real life. But then, um... It is a film, so it's it's there for entertainment. But it is a great example of how a stalker, especially an intimacy-seeking stalker, might try to isolate their victim um, and how they might try to manipulate them into, in order to grow closer to them. And Alec Baldwin is definitely one of the best portrayals of an intimacy-seeking, intimacy-seeking stalker um that I have seen other than Reese Ephens. Um and the film is really good. It's really entertaining too. So I would definitely recommend it. I will try and find where you can watch it and um link it on my Instagram stories. Again, I've had a few messages. I obviously I'm in England um in like in the UK so any films that I kind of say this is where you can watch it and this is where you can download it it's it's all based in England um I don't have access to work out how how you can watch things in the US so I am really sorry I, I did assume that if it's available on like Google Play and YouTube so Google Play and YouTube are, the, are kind of the same I think um if you buy it on Google Play it should be available available to watch on YouTube as long as you're logged in. Um, I assumed that that was the same everywhere um, because YouTube is international. But I really don't know. So I'm sorry if I don't um, link where you can watch it in the US. I guess you could use a, um, what is it called? A VPN to try and trick your computer to think you're in England. Um We definitely use those a lot in England to get um, American Netflix. Because you have way better Netflix than we do. But I will try my best to find where it's available everywhere. And I will put it on Instagram. And that's everything for this week. I hope I haven't gone into too many rants. I feel like this week I've kind of gone off in tangents. It happens if I'm talking about stock, And I'm going to be honest. It's kind of like me you know, my main research area and I'm very passionate about spreading awareness and, um, getting the right treatment for stalkers. So I apologise if I have gone on like in little rants and tangents. Um, I hope you enjoyed the case, something a little bit different. I will be back next week and it's actually going to be a two part episode next week. Um, so uh, part one is going to be next week and part two will be the week after. And that is because I'm going to do, um, I'm going to cover cyber stalking. And it's a huge subject. So it's, it's, it might even be three weeks. Um, but I will let you know when you come back next Wednesday to listen. Um, and thank you for listening this week.